And we're back with an episode that's actually going to be about design stuff. I mean, technically the whole podcast is about design, but uh, we're going to talk about UI this time. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to now episode 41 of Design Chat with Josh. I'm your host, Josh Reach as always. (laughs) And in this lovely design podcast today, we are going to go back to talking about uh, some actual like nitty gritty stuff about design. I know the past few episodes have been my favorite design podcasts, leadership lessons, uh, and and just other stuff uh, that it's technically all related to design. You know, even the hobbies episode was related to design because it's talking about how important it is as a designer uh, to have those other outlets and you know make sure that you take time for yourself. But uh, we're back now. And this episode, as you probably guessed by the title, is called Common UI Mistakes. So obviously, I'm going to be talking about common mistakes uh, that a lot of us make when it comes to designing user interfaces. And this kind of this could be a UI for anything really. I mean, it, it could be a simple website. It could be a more complicated utility site. It could be a mobile app. It could be, a, you know, for software or something. It really, it's just the UI mistakes overall. And I will also start off by uh, saying that I am guilty of most, if not all of these at one point in time. Uh, so these are kind of you know personal lessons too, things that I've learned, uh, and also things that I've just learned from other designers and have sort of maybe in most cases avoided the mistake um, of, of doing some of these. But there's a there's a bit of a long list, not really a long list. I'm looking at the list right now. Uh, it's not too long, but I know me, and uh, I'm probably going to ramble on about some of these things for quite a while. So strap in <laughs> and get ready, uh, because the first thing I want to talk about. And this is something that uh, I've actually come back to being aware of recently, uh, but it's just something that's really second nature, I think, for a lot of more seasoned designers, but we still can make these mistakes no matter how much experience we have. Uh, and that is the lack of hierarchy in your UI. And this, this really and truly goes far beyond just the visuals. I mean, a lot of visual designers, if you're a graphic designer listening and you primarily have worked with print, you know how important hierarchy is. I mean, that's one of the biggest things that we advocate for when we're designing anything for print, right? Um, And obviously the same rules apply to designing a UI. But a lot of times those get like kind of forgotten. I don't know why, but they do. Uh, I've seen it so many times where a website, just a simple landing page on a site will have poor hierarchy or a mobile app that comes out that it looks really cool, it looks exciting, but because of the lack of hierarchy, I have no idea where this app wants me to go first, second, third, and then finally whatever action or something I need to take. And a lot of things, kind of, I think the biggest problem is everything ends up being of importance, right? But with UI, I've noticed it's not that everything becomes important because a lot of the UI scrolls and there's different, you know, sections of something that you're seeing. You're not seeing everything all at once, like on a printed piece usually, right? So it it's not really that everything seems important. It's that the importance is in the wrong place. And this is a common trap that I think a lot of UI designers or a lot of designers who are creating user interfaces get sucked into is, you know, 
you might put emphasis on this really cool creative headline, but technically the hierarchy should be something else first. You know, maybe it's the section and then the headline of that section. Um, it kind of depends. You have to understand like what you're designing for. So just rethink and understand. But the biggest thing, the biggest problem that you have when you have a lack of hierarchy in your UI, especially on websites, is you're going to really throw off screen readers. And uh, this is something that, again, this is something that kind of came to light again. Uh, you know, it was kind of reminded of it uh, in, in recent weeks. And it's just, if, if you don't have the right hierarchy, if you're using an H3 head, you know, headline treatment above an H1 headline, the screen readers generally are not going to read in the order that you want them to. They don't normally go from top to bottom. They usually will sometimes look for things like, you know, the H1 is gonna be read first. So you might have the secondary like headline being read first. It's gonna confuse the user. And the reason why I think, and correct me if I'm wrong, if anybody's listening and you're like, no, you're crazy. But I think the reason why the screen readers don't read top to bottom is because they would just endlessly be reading menus over and over and over and over. This is kind of a way, especially on websites, where they can prioritize what's actually important, maybe ignore a menu and focus on headline, you know, H1, H2, the paragraph, and then uh, you know some sort of you know CTA, but if you don't have the proper hierarchy, and the hierarchy also goes into your code as well, uh, if you're not using the proper H1 tags or H2 tags or P tags or whatever it may be, you're gonna completely and totally fail any accessibility. Uh, but you're also going to really <laughs> you're, gonna, you're gonna really throw off those poor people who have some sort of limitation and you know that maybe can't read your site that maybe do use a screen reader um, this is something to keep in mind so you're not just confusing people visually but you're also confusing people who can't see whatever you're creating it's not like print like in print you know if somebody this might sound horrible but if somebody's blind they're not you know your your print piece doesn't necessarily have to follow accessibility for them, right? Um, even though, you know, there should be some sort of avenue, depending on what it is that you're creating. If it's a campaign, maybe you should create something that includes other uh, avenues of media, right? Like audio or something like that. But anyway, uh, it, but your print piece normally, like, you know, if it's, you know, there, you don't have to really worry about it. But when you're designing a UI, you have to worry about accessibility. You have to consider that, but you also need to, you know, remember that that accessibility affects a lot of things besides just, you know, being compliant. It also, you know, <laughs> helps you with screen readers and hierarchy and things like that. Anyway, I, I'm rambling now. I don't want to like ramble on too much. I hope obviously it's pretty clear. But lack of hierarchy is a big, big UI mistake that I think a lot of designers uh, make, just because. I don't, know. I don't know what what it is about screens that makes people just kind of throw out some of their basic design skills of of you know color and contrast and hierarchy and things like that. But I don't know. Some people do, and I've been there before. I have been there before. Where it's maybe it's because it's something new. If you're new to it, then you're like, oh, this is exciting. Um, don't don't forget your design training, design skills, your design principles. Um, and speaking of color, actually, uh, let's just jump into color too while we're at it. That's another big common UI mistake that I've noticed is a poor use of color. And what I've noticed, and one of the struggles I've even personally had, is trying to make something work for a UI with the brand colors. The brand colors are not normally designed for a user interface. 
those are typically designed for a brand. Now, a good brand, and, and, and by brand I mean like the visual identity, the styling, okay, of, of the brand. There's clearly far more to a brand than colors and logos, but the, the actual brand style guide, if that's actually made correctly, there should be a digital palette and uh, you know something for the UI. Uh, as well for whatever digital products or even websites, just a simple website, you know. But the brand colors don't always translate into good usability. And the easiest way to explain this is there's, for instance, error messages or warning states or confirmation messages, right? And typically, a user is used to seeing those as, you know, a warning or danger is, uh, you know, red. An alert or, you know, kind of a, oh, pay attention to this, uh, is orange or like a yellowish, but yellow's not very, uh, yeah, it's not, not not very usable. But anyway, it's usually an orange. Uh, and then green for like a confirmation, right? And uh, those colors, red, yellow, or orange, and green, red, orange, and green, okay, they may not be in your brand guidelines. That doesn't mean that you shouldn't be adding them though. And that doesn't mean that you shouldn't be trying to find a, a, a shade of those colors that does align with the brand because you're going to need some sort of, I guarantee it at some point in time, you are going to need those types of states, some sort of confirmation color, some sort of a warning color, some sort of a danger or error color. It, it's inevitable, it's gonna happen. So you need to plan ahead for that. And so it, the thing is, a lot of times I'll see brand colors being used for those. And I'm sorry, but blue is not a warning color, right? And everything can't be uh, purple, right? Or everything can't be, you know, green, right? Because, you know, green may be your brand color, but everything can't be green. You gotta have some sort of a different type of green and you gotta have an orange and a red and, you know, you gotta have, just so that it's communicating clearly the feedback that the user needs. And so don't just get so focused on your brand and making things look pretty for the brand. Also, by the way, the other thing I've noticed too is a lot of brands, their colors do not pass accessibility standards. They do not have the proper contrast. They are confusing to colorblind people. And you can't ignore that. You can't just sit there and say, oh, well, it's our brand color. We gotta use it. No, no, you don't. You absolutely don't. You can adjust it for the screen. And maybe like talk to the brand team or if you are in charge of the, the style guide for the brand, then make the freaking change yourself. You know, don't don't make this frustrating and hard for people to use just because it follows the brand. You know, and so and the other thing too I've noticed is uh, certain brands, uh, like for instance, brands that their primary color is red. Right, that is a very intense color to use. And when you get it on a screen, I've noticed some things where a certain like certain brands. Okay, when they launch a digital product, I think a good example of this is Bank of America. Bank of America. Okay has red as their like biggest color. Uh, it's red, white, and blue, right? But red's their biggest color. And on print, it's always been very bright. It's been very vibrant. But I've noticed that when it comes to their app or their website, they've darkened it. They toned it down a little bit. And now that actually is applied to, I think, the entire brand as a whole. But as they moved into this digital realm, I noticed their color palette getting a little more reserved. And the reason why is because when you add that red or show that red on the super AMOLED, you know, OLED displays that we have now with the millions and millions of colors. And I mean, I think about Samsung devices, they have the most amazing color. It's so saturated and beautiful. But man, that Bank of America red was so bright and it hurt to read and look at it. And I'm colorblind. And so I know if it was too bright for me, it's way too bright for somebody that can actually see color. 
So it's a good example of like you've got to adapt to this digital space when you're creating a you know when you're designing a UI, your brand colors may not work. You know, so you got to work on creating that digital palette, but don't deviate too far from the brand too. You got to have some sort of respect and understanding. Like, is there equity in those colors? Okay, if there is, you need to find a way to get close to them, uh, but not completely deviate away from them. Uh, and if you can't, then you, you got to. That's where kind of working with the brand team comes in handy. <laughs> so, um, you know, so just just keep that in mind. But poor use of color is something I've noticed a lot of us will make a mistake of. And I've fallen into this trap. I've absolutely fallen into this trap where I'm like, okay, here's the brand palette. It's not really made for a screen or they have some sort of, a, you know, RGB or hex code color, you know, palette, but it doesn't pass accessibility standards or you know it's just it's very limited so it's like all right you know and it can get very boring too if you have a very limited color palette for your brand so keep that in mind too you know um, but anyway it's 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 a very interesting thing and i think it's just simply because we have so many colors to work with when we're working in a digital space that you know it's not as limited as print um, even print's not that limited anymore but it just be cautious of that be careful of of color when you're designing your UI. And above all, think about accessibility and usability first, um, and then you know, making it look good. This next one, I'm, I'm <laughs> I really, 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 really feel strongly that this is a big, big problem with a lot of interfaces out there, a lot of mobile apps especially, and a lot of software. Um, but also a lot of websites too. I've seen this with a lot of websites. Um, but the lack of white space, that is a huge mistake that I think a lot of us make when it comes to designing an interface is we forget, again, it goes back to like, I don't know why, like print designers are all about white space, right? I mean, I kind of worked with print for so many years and that was like the biggest thing you would advocate for next to the hierarchy is you would say like, all right, we need more white space. We need more breathing room. We need to make sure we, you know, but for some reason, a lot of interfaces are completely and totally just neglecting white space altogether. And it's it has the same effect on a screen as it has in print. And it basically, it, it, you're gonna overwhelm your user. You're not gonna be able to, to guide them, to, to help them do what they need to do or want to do with whatever tool or device that, they, that they're using that you've created. You need that white space to break things up. If it means breaking things up into multiple screens, then so be it. It's broken up into multiple screens. If it means that they're going to have to scroll a little bit extra, surprise, it doesn't matter if they have to scroll. People are so accustomed to scrolling now. It's okay. Like, it, I mean, most, it's such a natural thing now. You know, those old days of like, oh, don't make pages too long on your website are kind of out the door now. I mean, yeah, there is obviously a limit, right? But what I've realized is if I break stuff up and it's kind of sectioned out into these nice bite-sized sections with tons of white space and great imagery or just great space, just empty space for people to digest what I'm trying to get them to understand or learn, or usually it's kind of a lot of informational stuff, right? Uh, or it, it, it's uh, maybe some sort of utility or something uh, that you're designing. And you know, instead of putting everything on one tiny screen or even one big computer screen, uh, just break it up a little bit. You know, break it up into different sections. Um, make it, you know, scrollable, make it, you know, maybe there's things that come in and out and swipe in and out, you know, and, you know, they kind of swipe through. It's a natural thing for people to do that now. It's okay. 
people are used to scrolling. I think a really, I wanna share a really good example actually of this too. Uh, a good example of amazing white space, or, I mean, it's a website, but it's, it's still a great use of white space and I could see this being used for anything, even software, okay? But go to onemedical.com, okay? One Medical is not a sponsor. Uh, just want to say that right now, but I do love One Medical. I use them and they're, they have this amazing uh, website and just overall design aesthetic that really makes everything easy to understand. And they're basically a, kind of a, a doctor, primary physician kind of place, right? Um, but a little more premium, there's like a, a yearly fee that you pay, right? And a membership fee. And but their website, uh, and as of now, in August of 2019, their website is just the epitome of amazing use of white space because everything is broken out into easy to digest sections. There's big color, but it's not overwhelming. There's big imagery, but it's done tastefully. There's big headlines, but they're not overwhelming. Um, and, and they're easy to understand. You, they're at the right spots to help guide you down through the page, every page that you're in, so that you know what to look at next. Um, and it's that use of white space that really and truly helps do that. It's not, you know, that, that hierarchy is created from the white space. Uh, that's that's around it. So when you're designing a website, especially like just break things up a little bit, you know, I mean, some of their pages on One Medical, you scroll down a little bit. Yeah, they probably could fit it in half the length of that page, but I'm glad they didn't do that because I'm able to understand and get to what I want to know faster because they've broken things up and they've added that breathing room around it. It's fantastic. It, it really is. And, uh, <laughs> and actually, while we're talking about them, uh, let's talk about serif fonts on the internet <laughs> because they're also a good example of how and when to use a serif typeface on your website or on your user interface, right? Uh, so I know for long form reading, the rule in the design world has been that you use a serif typeface, right? Serifs are always the easiest to read, especially when it comes to books and magazines and newspapers. And we tried to do that in the early days of the web, right? Where, you know, for our long form paragraphs, there were the typical print serif fonts that have the little feet and little, you know, blobs on the end and all that good stuff, okay? So we would use them for those long format reading. And some websites still do, right? So you go to New York Times and, and yes, they use a serif typeface. Uh, if you go to Medium, they use a serif typeface. But if you look carefully, those fonts that they're using okay, are slightly reserved. They're almost borderline not a serif font. They don't have as thick and thin of lines as a print serif font does. Um, and the reason why is because serifs, you know, a serif typeface was originally created because of the way that the ink bleeds in paper. Uh, it's just easier to, you know, pull it together. It's easier to, to read in a long format. And you also didn't have a light in the back of that paper illuminating the text, right? So it was just, it made everything easier to read. But now with a screen, it's much different. In fact, it's actually proven, I've, I've seen and heard in many cases that a sans serif typeface, even for long format reading, is just as easy to use on the screen than a serif typeface on print. Um, and the reason why is because a lot of the new, you know, fonts that are out there, like Google fonts, for instance, like Open Sans, Source Sans, things like that, they've been designed for 
the screen. You know, they weren't like the original Helvetica font that wasn't really designed for a screen. It was still designed for print. Uh, that's why there's Helvetica new, because it's actually modified for screens a little bit. Um, but the, my point is, it, when you have long format text, do not get into this habit of thinking that you have to have a serif typeface on your website or on your app or in your software. That's absolutely ridiculous nowadays, and it's, it's completely wrong. But you can use serif fonts as a nice accent piece too, though. Back to One Medical, they use a lot of serif typefaces for their headlines, and it works beautifully. It fits the brand so well, and it's easy to read because they're usually gigantic, um, but they're also using lots of white space, and they're using proper hierarchy too. Uh, but it's it's they work just so unbelievably well. And so to me, again, I think, you know, One Medical site is a great example. If you want to see how to use proper serif fonts on the internet or on a screen, look at that. If you want to see how to use proper white space, look at their website. If you want to see how to use proper hierarchy, look at their website. It's a very simple but elegant approach, and it really could work for any any user interface, really and truly. It, it honestly could. There, granted, this the website is a little more of an informational uh, piece, not really a utility piece, but some of that design language that they have also carries over into their app and it also carries over into the like actual utility experience that they have too. They have some sort of a consistency um, you know, between the website and, and their app. So it, it's, it makes a huge difference. It just does. So, so don't get trapped into that old mindset of, oh, serif fonts for long for, no, 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 no. You, you are perfectly fine with getting away with a sans serif font, and you probably should be using a sans serif font for your paragraphs of text on your site or on your app. Um, so just keep that in mind. And if you aren't and you want to use a serif typeface, just observe how sites like New York Times or Medium use it, because they honestly, they, they have a specific font that they use, and it, it is a much more reserved serif font. It's not quite as extreme as the old print style. Now this next thing, I'm, I'm, I'm learning this now. Uh, not learning this. I'm, I'm, I'm running into this now. I've, I've known this before, but I'm running into this again uh, myself. Where I, <laughs> a common mistake that designers will make when designing a user interface, and I'm, I'm almost guilty of this. I'm catching myself, but creating too many components. So not following patterns from one screen to the next. If you're creating a new screen or a new feature in your you know, product, don't fall into the trap of trying to reinvent the wheel every single time that you get something new to add. Remember that you should, and hopefully have, some sort of a pattern library, a library of components that you can pull from and use. And it may be very tempting to think of this new way to create this button or this new way to create this uh, headline, but don't fall into that trap. Uh, limit yourself because it's not only going to create consistency and continuity between all of your products, but it's also going to make your life a lot faster and easier and make your developers' lives a lot faster and easier because they're not having to reinvent the wheel as well every time you come up with a new button style. Uh, so keep that in mind. And a good example is, you know, I, I was working on something recently, for instance, and it was something new, uh, but it was something that we already had a, a library for. And for some reason, I just went rogue and created my own button. For, and I like, caught myself later on where I'm like, wait a minute, what am I doing? We've never used a button style like this before. I'm never, no, 
get rid of it. I got rid of that button and actually buttons, there's several of them, and I replaced them with our style that we already had. Uh, and it looked great, it still looked just as good, and it was still just as usable. There wasn't really anything different, it was just a new style that I was like, oh, that could be fun. Uh, but it created an inconsistency, and that's a very big mistake that, that a lot of us will make when we're creating any type of UI, especially if something's already been established, but even if it's something new, don't fall into that trap of creating too many components and too many different styles of buttons and headlines and, you know, going all the way up to H6, you know, in terms of headlines. Don't do that, okay? Like, keep it limited. You know, try to work with less. And that's really where you're going to be challenged and create your best work, I think, because when you start using less, you start getting a little bit more clever and really understanding, okay, is this necessary? Is this important? Is this what I'm trying to include? Is this necessary for my user? Do they really need it? No. Do they really need this much prominence and this much, you know, no, they don't, right? Um, so it, it gets you to think. It reminds me actually of, of this uh, document, it's like a cloud document processing thing I used to use called Quip. And, uh, it's not the toothbrush, it was, I don't know if it's called, I don't even know if it's around anymore, but it was basically, it was like a Google Docs kind of thing. And I remember using it, it was, it was really cool, it was very simple and very easy to use, uh, but it was very limited. There was, there was not a lot that you could do. It's almost like if you write an article for Medium, there's very limited styling of headlines and subheads and callouts and things like that that you can do. The same thing was happened with Quip, and I, at first I hated it, you know, I was like, this is ridiculous, why is it so limited? And then I realized, no, this is the beauty of this thing, because now people can't get crazy with creating these super crazy, unique, you know, Microsoft wordy type documents. I, I you know, and, and even Google Docs, you know, it gives you way too much freedom and control, right, in terms of styling. This kept everything focused on what you were actually documenting, not on how it was going to look. And that's kind of the approach that we have to remember is, you know, there's, there's a benefit to having a limited amount of components and patterns. Um, you know, don't, Obviously, there, you have to weigh the pros and cons. You know, if it's too simple or too difficult to understand or there really needs to be something else created, um, then maybe it's time to add something new to your library, right? But don't fall into that trap of always creating new stuff and having way too many options to choose from because it's just going to get confusing to your users too because they're going to... Basically, people get trained to look for certain visual cues and elements when they're using some sort of an interface. And if you have too many different types of treatments of that, it's gonna be harder for them to get through things, especially when you introduce new features. It's gonna be so hard for them to understand how to use whatever new stuff that you created for your product because now they gotta relearn some new patterns or new elements or new visual styles. It gets messy, so don't do it. Just don't do it. Um, but uh, that's all I really have to say about too many components, but I will kind of, this is kind of a component type thing since we're talking about buttons a little bit uh, and, and those types of elements in your UI. Um, a, <laughs> a very common mistake people make is using flat design a little too much. Um, this has been a trend for so many years now, right? The, the flat UI design has been around for a long time. Um, and now we're very familiar with, say, material design that Google's created. Um, iOS has its own flat design um, that as I sit here with literally nothing but Apple devices surrounding me, I will say that Apple's UI is atrocious and very uh, user unfriendly uh, because it's too flat. Uh, and 
there's also not enough callouts and other things to actually identify what's a button anyway. So um, that's like a big pet peeve of mine. Anything could be a button with Apple, which is really frustrating. Um, but having that depth, okay, whether it be a subtle gradient or a little bit of a subtle drop shadow. I'm not talking your, you know, 1997 PowerPoint drop shadows, right? I'm talking about tastefully done depth to your design is going to help improve it tremendously in terms of usability. And if it's done right, it can look a thousand times better than flat design. People are sick of flat design nowadays. It's, it's just freaking everywhere, okay? So there's a, that subtle, and you probably noticed this, again, with material design, we're going back to, oh, we're using drop shadows again? Oh, we're using gradients again? Yes, we are, because there's a reason why we need that depth. Uh, you know, it's because it, in the real world, there is depth to our world, right? When you're touching a physical button, I have a PlayStation controller in front of me right now. When I touch this button, I can see the shadow around it from the light on the window. I can see there's a little bit of a gradient on that button too from the way the light's hitting it. And then when I push it down, I'm not gonna push it down because it's gonna turn the thing on, but uh, I, when I push it down, I see that action of pushing it down and I feel that action of pushing it down. When you're designing a user interface, you don't have that actual physical feel, but you can emulate it by adding depth and not going so flat with your design. So make sure there's some sort of feedback to the user when they interact with something. Make sure that there's some sort of, of visual cue telling them, this is something you can click on, you know? Or this is behind this thing, because, you know, sometimes, you know, that actually can help a lot. Like, for instance, if you're using like a, a card-based design or something, if you're stacking these cards up, you don't want them all be flat. You don't want just outline, outline, outline in this like, you know, weird, obscure, abstract shape. You want some sort of shadow behind them, right? Not huge, but some sort of a shadow to sh say like, oh, these are on top of you. Oh, something's behind there. It's not just some weird border on the left-hand side, right? You, so just beware of, of flat design and don't get too sucked into it. Um, but remember too that if you get too crazy with your gradients and your you know drop shadows and stuff like that, you're going to make your design look super dated, and it's going to look atrocious. And and that that's more of an aesthetic thing too. Um, but it also could affect the usability too because if you have too much depth and too many shadows and cool effects, think about the old skeuomorphic design, right? There was just so much going on. It was sometimes hard to tell what you could interact with and what you couldn't. We're at this nice happy medium in the world right now where this material-like design of like subtle shadows and gradients and depth, have it's just that perfect blend between the two. I honestly don't know where we're going to go next in terms of like design styles, but because this has really been sticking around for a while and I don't know how we're going to improve that anymore, but I know we will. Um, but anyway, don't don't fall into the flat design uh, kind of. I don't know what the flat design trap. It's kind of a trap at this point. Um, focus on depth. Focus on adding a little bit of dimension to your UI to actually make it more usable. Don't just do it for the sake of doing it either. Make it so that it's actually helping with functionality too, and it'll end up looking more beautiful overall too. This last thing I want to talk about, uh, this last mistake that a lot of designers will make when it comes to creating their UI is the lack of delight in their interface. Or in some cases, there's absolutely no delight for the user if they're using that interface. And I know what you're thinking, oh boy, 
yeah, yeah. Uh, the visual designer in me is coming out. Uh, the gloves are off because I've seen this uh, so many times. And it, I think it, a lot of it happens when you have people that are maybe not from a visual design background and they downplay that UI and that delight so much that there's just simply no delight at all for the user when they're using this tool, when they're using this product. And I've seen it on websites where they're too utilitarian, but the biggest offender is really mobile apps or software where it's just some sort of, there's just a massive, massive lack of delight. And delight to me is the use of, of great color and little, you know, taking the time to actually create maybe some uh, illustrations or a unique photography, you know, photography style to go with your product instead of just, you know, saying, well, the photos are just going to get in the way. You know, no, they're not. Okay. Um, I, I feel like that's just when people like say, well, no, 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 we don't need to worry about, you know, the you know, delight factor. We don't need to worry about fluffing it up or adding fluff or adding anything like that. Um, that's just something that people say who can't design. It just is. And so, those people, that, that there's a special place for them and it's not in the UI. But when it comes to the UI, that is that end result. That is that, that thing that it really, I don't care how boring your product may be, you can make it not boring by actually adding some sort of delight. Add little celebration moments. Invest in hiring an illustrator or illustrate the damn thing yourself and create some sort of style that connects with your user base. Um, and, and don't just make boring you know, buttons and palettes that follow your brand. Push the brand a little bit. Um, or maybe you have a really cool brand and you're just not using all of it in your UI. Just add that delight factor to it. Subtle animations. I know some developers cringe when they hear about this, but animations, the subtle ones, okay, they just, they add that little, ooh, nice delight. It makes people feel like, not only is this a premium product that I'm using, I feel like that somebody actually invested their heart and soul into this, but it's something cool that I can show off. You know, I feel like, oh, check out this new app I got, you know, and, or that I've been using. And, you know, if it's an ugly app, people are, they might recommend friends, sure, for its utility, but they're not going to brag about your product if it looks like shit. So make sure that you are not putting the delight factor aside and make sure that you are actually making your UI something that people will genuinely be proud of. And by people, I mean the user will be proud of. Um, you know, it's just, it just it, it's something that bugs me a lot. And it's something I've seen a lot in, mainly in the UX world. It's not so much in the product design world because in the product design world overall, that's generally a full-fledged, you know, end-to-end -end UX and UI. It's a little bit of the vision and everything, right? But uh, I've noticed that in the UX, especially when you just get into this, the world of, of just UX designers and UX researchers, they don't care about the UI. Um, and that's a mistake, to be honest, uh, if they are the ones responsible for the UI. And in a lot of cases, in a lot of companies, and some of you listening might be in the same situation, you might be a UX designer, but you're responsible for the UI and that delight as well. So you need to get out of your own way and actually start making something enjoyable and add that delight. Take the time out to actually invest in the visual style of something for once. And if you have UI, does dedicated UI designers to actually do that, again, don't downplay it 
because what they're doing is important. There is something there. People do care about aesthetics. They really and truly do. The best products out there, think of any product, anything that you like. I know a lot of UX designers oogle over Spotify. You love Spotify, it's freaking great, right? Do you have any idea how much time and resources they invest into their visual style, into the delight of their UI? I mean, the playlist uh, 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 styles and artwork, the, 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 the coloring of the imagery, like there's so many, the animations, the, the there is so much work that goes into that. That is not just good UX, that is also great UI as well. So do not make the mistake of downplaying that delight because it matters. Netflix, a lot of people love Netflix. And by people, I mean designers, especially UX designers. They love Netflix and they love the way things are laid out and how you know that whole experience is designed. And you know it's been rough in the past and there's, it's not perfect, I admit to. And Spotify is not perfect anyway. I mean, Spotify has a lot of work to do with its podcast, um, but they're making small, iterative improvements and I can tell and it's making it better and better and better. They're doing great. I'm not worried about Spotify or Netflix, honestly. They've got great teams. But um, the thing is though, they invest in that delight. They understand that there has to be some sort of delight. Netflix, for crying out loud, they actually have a dedicated team from my understanding, I've seen this, a dedicated team that actually is focused on creating unique artwork or uh, um, images, it's more videos now that they use, but they were using a lot of imagery um, that was basically custom and exclusive to Netflix, but for movies and things like that. But it fit the Netflix style and the Netflix UI to a T. It was beautiful. And I mean, they have people that are dedicated to that. And of course, now that they create their own amazing series and movies and stuff, they have to have people to do that too. But even stuff they don't create though, uh, they've gone out of their way to create, you know, kind of just even the thumbnail image is is unique. They don't just pull the standard, you know, movie uh, poster artwork and slap it on the interface. No, they take the time to actually make that artwork work well for the Netflix experience. Um, so, and again, Spotify, they'll do photo shoots with the actual music artists, exclusive photo shoots with music artists. I've seen photos that only Spotify has. These are not stock photos of these artists. So there is an investment in delight and it pays off in the end. People are proud to use something like Spotify. They're proud to use something like Netflix. They love it, right? It's amazing to them. Um, and it's also very usable, yes. <laughs> so I always advocate for something to be purposeful, meaningful, solving a problem, usable, the whole nine yards. But to really make people proud of your product, you cannot forget that delight. And that is a common mistake designers will make when it comes to the UI, especially designers that are responsible for UI that don't want to be responsible for the UI. And I'm looking at you, UX designers. <laughs> um, so, you know, it's, it's, I get it. You know, you have to balance things and, and you know, focus on, on what matters or what you think matters. But the reality is all these pieces matter to a digital product. And in the UI, that delight factor does matter and it does have an effect on people's perception of your product. So that's all I'm gonna say about that. I could rant on for, I think I know I've done previous episodes about this too, where, where I'm like, don't forget about the delight. Um, but, uh, and I've even written an article before, um, you know, how good UX is not an excuse for, you know, bad design um, or poor UI. Uh, so it's just, 
just keep that in mind. O always remember that. Always remember it. it's worth investing that time and a little bit of time into the creative aspect of your product. And that's all I got you guys. So if you enjoyed this episode and you are enjoying this entire podcast series, don't forget to leave a nice little rating and review, especially on Apple Podcasts. Even if you don't listen on Apple Podcasts, most everybody has some sort of an iTunes or Apple account. So log in there, uh, leave a nice little rating and review. That's honestly like one of the few remaining podcast platforms that actually leaves good, uh, you know, the opportunity for ratings or reviews. But anyway, it helps get this out to more people. Uh, so that more people can uh, hear these things and learn how to not make these common UI mistakes. Again, all of which, now that I'm looking at them, mm, mm, yeah, no, I have been guilty of all these at one point in time. I'm not innocent when it comes to any of these things that we've <laughs> talked about today. So, um, but anyway, if you're liking this though, don't forget to leave some love. Uh, and if you have any other things, uh, common UI mistakes that you uh, or can think of that maybe I missed or maybe you disagree with something I said today, be sure to reach out to me. Uh, you can email me, chat at joshuareach.com. You can find me on LinkedIn and message me that way on Twitter uh, at Joshua Reach. I'm back on Instagram with my original Instagram handle. I got it back. It's just Joshua Reach. <laughs> it's, I'm re it's really easy to find me on the internet. Uh, just Google Joshua Reach. Go through that boxer, Anthony Joshua, who keeps stealing my SEO. Uh, but anyway, uh, and you'll find me though. Um, he's also apparently a, an amazing, amazing athlete too. Um, so anyway, uh, that's all I got. Thank you all so much for listening. Uh, and I will talk to you all next time.